Lord, as we uh, turn to this portion of your word, that you would uh, give us attentive ears and a heart that is willing to receive and to consider the implications of what this passage is telling us, that our lives will change, that we could truly come to know, know you as a redeemer, a God who is so mighty and so awesome and yet so loving. So we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so this, um, the, the title of my message today is Crouching Sin, Overflowing Grace. Um, lately, I think I've mentioned this before, but lately there's been news that really rocked the Christian world. Um, a four-month-long uh, investigation found credible evidence of you know, inappropriate you know, misconduct by the late Ravi Zacharias, spanning many years. Uh, a couple of years ago, I, I read an article about an allegation against Ravi that he, he settled out of court. Um, and, you know, there's no need to go into all the details because that's not the purpose. That's not, you know, we are not in the business of, you know, finding out all the details of this. But it was, you know, about this inappropriate texting to a married woman. And he came out strongly denying the allegation. So, and when I just first came across this story, my initial reaction was, uh-oh, I mean, there was no substantial like, evidence because you know, they, the both parties you know, agreed to a non-disclosure agreement, right? But just, it just my gut told me, ah, oh, man, I, may have, I already have seen this movie before, right? Things just didn't add up for me. How ironic that arguably the greatest defender of Christian faith of our time has so many holes in his defense. I mean, it just... I don't know. Um, but, you know, you can't really just say anything because there was simply no evidence to really, uh, that, that, that was made public. So we, can't, we, don't, we don't know, right? But it just didn't leave a good taste in my mouth because um, personally, I really respected him growing up. Uh, he was just, uh, the foremost, you know, just a well-respected, world-renowned apologist defending the faith, right? And so, like, I would read his uh, book, book, uh, I mean, he read few, but I only read one book, but, um, and um, just listening to, you know, YouTube, you know, like, things, and it's just like, wow, you know, like, he would just, like, explain or just defend Christian faith in a really succinct and really, like, persuasive manner, and as I loved him, I respected him for that. I really respected him. And then uh, he passed away last year, unrelated to COVID, and uh, many Christians paid tribute for his ministry and the impact that he has had on them and also the, the worldwide church. People said his funeral was so uplifting and it was so inspiring, just recounting all the, the people that were so touched by his ministry. Then a few women came out and spoke of his repeated sexual misconduct while he was alive. As he had done a couple of years ago, when I first came to that story a couple of years ago, his ministry and also his family immediately 
deny, the, uh, deny their allegations, and they came to their, you know, just defense. You know, they felt that it was really an insult to his legacy and the, and the men that they knew as their beloved leader their, and, and, the, and, and as a family, like as husband and father. They said, how could, how could this woman try to ruin Ravi, you know, the, the men that we knew so well all our lives? But because of the mounting pressure and the corroborating like, evidence, uh, the organization agreed uh, to an independent investigation. And so that took about four months. And the findings were far worse than anyone had imagined. It was really shocking, to say the least. And the scale, and even the number of victims, it just wasn't limited to just a few women, right? And the extent that he was willing to go to avoid getting caught were just beyond anyone's expect, uh, like imagination as they just dug deep into it. it. It was just a shocking thing. And all this has been happening for over a decade. And he's been, in, uh, as far as we can tell, he's been engaging in it not too long before even his death. Right? He has really leveraged his power and influence to quiet the victims. And now, we should be careful not to speak, right, um, self-righteously. I, I used to do that when I was young. I thought I was above everybody else, right? But the point is to examine our own hearts and humbly draw attention to the grace of God in the gospel. And that's the point that I wanted to, that's the reason I just brought this out to you. You know, we uh, often underestimate the power of sin and overestimate our ability to fight it off. We really do. We think, oh, sin, yeah, it's sin, but um, yeah, I think I can get over that. The temptation, maybe I, I should be able to overcome it. We know we are sinners, and, and um, I'm sure if you are regular attenders of Embrace, you know, uh, the PJ and I, we tend to often talk about sin a lot, so I know, uh, you know, I think that we, we, under, we all understand if we are doing our job, right, then you would recognize that, that we, are, we are sinners. But we may not know well, too well about the effects of sin that, that the effects of sin has on us. And the more aware we are, the better we can combat the, uh, combat the sin uh, in our lives. And this passage that we just read is a, you know, well-known story of Cain and Abel. And it tells us the effects of sin and also grace. So let's go straight into this passage. The first point that I want to bring out to you is the effects of sin. The effects of sin. So as we know here in this story, Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions, indicating that he recognized that all the productivity of the flock is from the Lord even though he tended the sheep. But still, it really came from all, that, all the, 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 the newborns and all these things really came from the Lord, that all of it really belonged to him. And so he really, uh, that's how, the, reason, the fact that he offered 
the firstborn and their fat portions, that indicates that was his recognition. And God looked with favor on Abel. He had regard on Abel and because of his faith. And I'm not just making this up because Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, uh, it says this. Yeah. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. It's there, even the Hebrews uh, writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells that Abel's sacrifice was truly commended by God because of his faith, recognizing that everything came from him. But when God had no, uh, but, you know, when God had no regard for Cain and his offering, most likely because of his faithless attitude, he was, uh, Cain was very angry. And in spite of God's clear warning, right, he says, hey, be careful, Cain, right? The sin is crouching the door. You must be able to just uh, come, you have to do something about it. Do not let it master you. With a clear warning, Cain ignored it and went ahead and killed his own brother. And afterwards, he was defiant. But what, is this, so what does this tell us about sin? And uh, the, the few points I want to bring out to you, and the first point is concerning sin. It, what it does is um, uh, sin destroys relationships. Yeah. Sin destroys relationships. In Ge- Genesis chapter 3, sin severs relations between God and mankind, humankind, human beings. And also, not only does it like sever the relationship, but it also puts a wedge between man and his wife. They were just, it was just, it was about finger pointing when they just found that when they felt guilty and ashamed of what they have done, they started immediately looking elsewhere to blame. It really just uh, strained their relationship. Now, in this chapter four, it shows the sin shows. Uh, it, it shows sin destroying the bonds of brotherhood. His anger led him to have no regard for a human life, the life of his own brother. Cain here is portrayed as a more hardened sinner than Adam. At least when Adam was confronted, when God asked him, Adam. Uh, I, I, even before that, um, Adam was persuaded to sin. You know, the, the serpent came and kind of, come on, you can't do this. You know, why? Why would you like, want to listen to it? So he was enticed to, to sin. Cain, on the other hand, could not be dissuaded from sinning, even by God himself, when Cain was really extremely angry about the fact that God accepted his brother's offering but not his. He was so upset. He was burning with anger and hatred, jealousy. So God says, why, are you, why is your face fallen? Be careful. Sin is like right, you know, crouching at the door. He's about to just have you, the desire is for you. It's coming, after, it's coming after you. Watch out. And yet, even with a clear warning, Cain went ahead. How often do we see and experience in our own lives that sin, has, uh, that sin has and is destroying 
relationships that we have with other human beings. We don't have to look, we don't have to look too far, right? From, with our family members, church members, friends, even. Sin destroys relationships. Some of these relationships we have built over the years. It took years to really earn the trust of some people, right? Because we don't just trust somebody for someone who we just met. The trust gets built, and the relationships deepen as time goes, as we just build on one trust upon another. But sometimes the sins can destroy all of that in a moment. The betrayal of trust cuts really deep. All the hard work that Ravi has done in his entire life, his worldwide ministry, all the adoration and respect that he has received have simply vanished because of this sin. I can imagine all the work, I mean, he's really worked, you know, had, he's been just all over the place, you know, trying to defend the Christian faith, and yet all of that has evaporated. It really destroyed the relationships that he has built, that he worked so hard to build all his life. His family, his organization, so many people have withdrew their support and partnership and association with his ministry. And all these people that have just paid the respect for him leading up to his death now just express how hurt they are by uh, his, uh, his sin. Make no mistake, sin destroys relationships. When we engage in sinful behavior, sinful way of think, uh, sinful way to deal with people, even the things that we may think that it may not affect uh, other people, it really does. Sin destroys relationships. And also, what sin, the effective sin, what it does is, the second one is sin lies. Sin lies. You know, when questioned by God about his sin, Adam, at least grudgingly, told the truth. Okay, well, so I, yeah, I, I ate the fruit, but okay, I admit it. I, I, I ate it, okay? But it's from, you know, because my, my wife did it, uh, made me eat this. Right? But at least he admitted. When God uh, confronted Cain, he lied to his God's face. Okay? I do not know. Where, where is your brother? What, 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 you know, where is your brother? I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Why are you asking me? To his face. Cain lies. And he's defiant. Right? In verse 9, yeah, yeah, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? In a mocking way, he will respond to God. Right? So callous and so cold-blooded. Can you imagine? Anyways, um, but, you know, so, but I'm not just talking about lying as a type of sin, right? But I'm also talking about the deceptive nature of sin itself. Sin lies to us. It's, it manipulates us. 
You know, the Bible reveals that there is an unbreakable, unbreakable connection between our character, our conduct, and the consequences of sin. We cannot separate them. We cannot say that like, we uh, just committed sin and say, well, that's not, that wasn't really me, right? That wasn't me. I'm not really like that. That's not really part of me. And we try to oftentimes, sin tells us, yeah, that, what, whatever that you did, that's not really you, okay? That's not really you, right? The real you is this. That's just an alter ego or something that, that doesn't belong to you. So you are okay. You are not that, such a bad person. Or they say, well, whatever that you did, the sin that you have committed, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really affect other people, right? Maybe you have done something that no one is looking, so it really doesn't affect anyone. There are no consequences. You could get away with these things. These three, our character, our conduct, the consequences of our actions are inseparable. They are woven by God into his created order. We just cannot sim- separate them. We cannot simply say, like, our conduct is separate. It's, really, it's not related to our character. Whatever that we have done is part of our character, who we are. We cannot say, that wasn't me. That really, uh, it was just a fit of rage, but that's not really me. It is you. Sometimes you know, I would have road rage, and then I, I immediately find myself, Lord, forgive me. I mean, just like being so impatient on the road, right? I cannot just pretend to say, oh, you know, that, that's because that person in front of me was uh, being a jerk, right? I just simply reacted. It's not my fault. It's that guy's fault. I cannot say that. The part of me, when I have rage or do things, that is part of my character. That's who I am. We cannot separate these things. Deception is part of sin's DNA. Sin constantly lies to us. And it seeks to convince us that sin brings only pleasure that it carries no consequences, and that no one will discover it. Isn't that what sin does to us oftentimes? If we truly knew that, that somebody was watching right with us at the moment, would we lie? Would we do things that we are not proud of? The reason why we engage in sin, sinful acts, sinful thoughts, is because somehow we buy into the lie of the enemy saying that, yeah, no one is really watching right now. No one really knows. If you kind of tell this lie, you can get away with it. And there are no consequences. The, lie, the sin constantly manipulates us, constantly lies to us. Sin works hard to make us forget that character, conduct, and consequences are interconnected. He says, no, no, they are not. It's... It's, it's all separate. You should just separate them. They, don't, they are not connected together. That's what sin tells us all the time. And when we neglect this relationship between character, conduct, and consequences, when we think our sins will not be discovered, then what happens is we ultimately mock God. And that's what happened to Cain, to his face when God asked him, what have you done? Where is your brother? I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Why are you asking me? 
sin. He has bought into the lies of sin and mocked God to his face. That's what sin does. And also, uh, you know, sin is, sin is really enticing. And that's why so many of us fall for it, thinking that we can somehow get away or because no one else is really watching. No one needs to find out about this. It's like, you know, just commercials, a lot of commercials. You know, if you just get like a, like a fast food chain, like when we watch it, when, you look at, when they're just uh, advertising like a burger, when you look at it, man, it looks so juicy and like, you know, like it looks so tasty and like, mm, like and so you, you want to just eat it. But when you go, you know, we all have experienced it, right? Or is it just me? You go to the, to the fast food restaurant, when you get that burger, when you look at it, it looks, like a, it looks nothing like what it shows in the, you know, in the TV commercials. Right? The sin entices us. It lies to us. Right? Exaggerates. And the, and, and the, uh, the, the last uh, effect of sin is also sin hunts. Sin hunts. Here, sin is personified as an animal waiting to pounce in verse 7, right? It says, um, yeah, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it, right? You know, the Hebrew word crouching here is the same as the ancient Babylonian uh, word referring to an evil demon crouching at the door of the building uh, to, to throw the people inside it. Okay? So this is kind of ready, crouching. That's, what, you know, that's how God has described sin, crouching at the door of his heart. Sin is pictured here like a demon waiting to pounce on Cain. It desires to have him. It desires to, against him. He may already have been plotting his brother's murder. First, uh, first Peter chapter 5, 8, it says the devil prowls like a roaring lion, just looking for, you know, saints, the people of God to devour. That's what sin is. He's prowling. He's hunting. You know, we, all, we have all experienced it, right? Sin lies to us, and we take the bait, and then sin begins to hunt us. You know, there's a, a commentator said that the irony of a life of rebellion is that we begin, to, uh, we get, we begin by pursuing sin. We are the one who is like, okay, you know, we're just pursuing sin. But the irony is we end up being pursued by it. You know, uh, Numbers uh, chapter 32, verse 23, um, it says this, but if you if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure. If we sin, be sure that your sin will find you out. There is no hiding place. And isn't it true? The sin will find us out. We may pursue sin in the beginning, but before we know it, the sin will hunt us down. Bernie Madoff, he was an influential like Wall Street investment advisor. He got caught in 2008 
doing a massive Ponzi scheme, right? Uh, resulting in the largest fiscal like fraud in US history. It was estimated around like $65 billion. His Ponzi scheme, because like people just bought into it and then just he was so good at it, it grew to 65 billions of uh, loss, right, by the investors. He confessed later that he wished he was caught many years before that because he realized what he was doing was so wrong. And yet, because of all the pressure, all the people that were just coming for him to just wanting to get the, the investment and, the, and then the incredible return, it was too late for him. He couldn't control it. What he had started, it just grew and grew and grew to a point where he was absolutely just crushed under the guilt and weight of the sin, and yet there was nothing that he could do to stop it. That depicts how it is with us and sin. We may naively believe in the deceptive allures of sin and go after it, but soon we find that we are being hunted and hounded by the very sin that we sought after in the beginning. Sin seeks to dominate us. Sin seeks to master us. And yet it, it's done a good job of doing that. The consequences of our sin will cripple and master us. And before we know it, we become enslaved to sin. And that is what is so deadly and devastating about sin. It is a silent assassin. We have no idea how, it's, uh, how the, the effect of sin does in our lives before we know it. We may just tinker with it in the beginning, just kind of dip our toe in there, and just, just, just say, okay, maybe it's not. For, but before you know it, unless we repent, unless we turn from our wicked ways and sinful ways, sin, be sure, the sin will find you out, and sin will master you, it would dominate you, dominate all of us. That's what it does. The addiction of all kinds, whether it's pornography, drugs, alcohol. The people, I don't think they just started by saying, oh, you know what, I'm just going to be so addicted by it that I cannot help myself but do this. I don't think anybody would start that way. But once they just uh, give in to a lot of these things, before they know it, they are mastered by it. Sin does that to us. And Cain's sin was virtually uninterrupted. It started with just uh, really something small, maybe impiety. Like he really didn't have a, like really, uh, off, his offering wasn't as faithful like uh, Abel's. So it started with that. But then it leads to anger, jealousy, deception, murder, falsehood, and self-seeking. And all this resulted in the alienation from God himself. Adam accepted God's punishment, uh, judgment in silence. But Cain protested fiercely. Verse 13 and 14 says, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. He's whining and just complaining. Behold, you have driven me today 
away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me, uh, finds me will kill me. He's protesting. He's like, man, God, this is not fair. How, 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 what am I supposed to do now? Right? He's protesting. Sin has already crushed us and mastered us. But still, its assault on us will be relentless. Just because it has mastered us doesn't mean that it's just like taking a break on us. But it will constantly pound us, constantly dominate us, seeks to dominate us. And this is our predicament. And where would our salvation come from? And so this uh, passage also tells us the second point, the unexpected grace. The unexpected grace. When uh, Cain protested, right, God's response following Cain's protest is surprising and unexpected in verse 15. Uh, where is it? Verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, not so, he was complaining and just like protesting. Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be, take, uh, shall be taken on him sevenfold. Right? And he puts a mark on Cain. What a, what a response from God. Cain did not dis- respond with repentance. There was no shred of like, evidence that he's really repenting here. But rather... He was just feel, his response with self-pity. Woe is me. Oh, now that I, you know, I cannot just grow any fruit because the ground is you know, cursed and there's nothing I can. Well, but what am I going to do, God? Right? Whoever is going to find me, they're gonna, he's, the guy's going to kill me. Woe is me. He feared physical and social exposure, but not the God who has made him. There is no, we don't see any, we don't see anything in him where he's really fearing God. Even, even after he was called out, he's protesting. He said, God, this is not fair. He certainly did not deserve any mercy from God. He didn't do anything to merit God's care and protection. And yet, God still showed unmerited mercy by putting a mark on him to protect him so that his life will not be taken away. And we call that grace, unmerited favor and the the mercy. Even though we do not know for sure what the mark of Cain was, it served a double function. It reminded Cain of his sin and assured him of God's protection against potential enemies. His protest prayer didn't go unnoticed. Even hardened sinners like Cain, or at least pray in that sense, right? Talk to him, and then he receives mercy. The gospel informs us that we do not receive God's mercy because we deserve it. But in spite of our unworthiness, in spite of the fact that we constantly rebel against God and run away from Him, that God shows mercy and unmerited grace 
to us. If you think about it, if we are honest with ourselves, if we got what we truly deserved, none of us would have any standing before God because in our sinful state, we will be just mired and we will be just steeped in sin. And that's how we would stand before God. And there is no way that we could ever be close to Him. We could, there's no way left to our you know, vices. There's no way we could just um, be near Him or just share in His inheritance. But by the mercy and grace of God, He has made a way for us so that we could be near Him, so that we can be reconciled to God, so that we can have a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, for what He has done on the cross, the sacrifice that He has made through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we are now have this new life in Him. Whereas Abel's blood cried out for vengeance, in verse 10, um, when Cain responds, well, I do not know, uh, am I my brother's keeper? And verse 10, uh, and the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. So the Abel's blood is crying out for vengeance. Justice, justice. I was killed. For no reason, my brother killed me. For no reason. His blood was crying out for vengeance and justice. But the blood of Christ cries out for forgiveness. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, it says this. And to Jesus, all right, good. Good job, Sean, you're just keeping up with me. Um, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled, sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Christ cries out, forgiveness, have mercy on these sinners. Have mercy, Father. And Jesus, in his dying moment on the cross, cries out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. They have no idea what they're doing. As people were just jeering, as people were heaping insult, and say, hey, save yourself if you fear the Christ, that we will believe you. Hey, why don't you just call on the, 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 the host of angels to come down and just, you know, help you, so that we will believe that you are truly the Christ, that you are the, the Messiah that we've been waiting for. So as people were crucifying him for no reason and doing this heinous sin, Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them. And with the blood that he shed, that speaks. And he speaks to Father's heart, pleading for mercy and forgiveness of our sin that we can never, ever we pay on our own. Jesus is a better and greater Abel. While the Abel's blood was crying out for vengeance and justice, the blood of Christ cries out forgiveness, mercy on people who do not deserve it.
And that includes you and me, all of us. How marvelous and amazing grace is when we think about it. That even in this moment, I mean, if I were God, boy, I mean, obviously, you know, that's pointless. But, um, you know, when you are talking to somebody and you know that that person has done wrong, and he knows that you you already know. And yet, if that person still lies to your face, right? Man, if that happened to me, I would be, like, pretty, like, upset because he knows that I know that you, you've done, he, he's done wrong, and still he lies to my face. Man, I would be really upset, right? And yet, God showed mercy to Cain, who did not deserve it, when he said, what am I going to do, God? The ground is not going to produce any fruit. I'm in trouble. I, somebody's going to take me out, right? What am I going to do? I'm going to die. And God when Cain cried out in desperation, even though he did not deserve it, he did not really repent or anything, and yet God had mercy on him. And theologically, we didn't like, you know, repent, and then we came to God. But in our sinful state, when we were dead spiritually, God came and he had mercy on us. That he opened our spiritual eyes to even see and to recognize that we are sinners. Because apart from God's grace, we cannot even accept that we are sinful before him. The grace of God. We are not that different from Ravi or Cain in terms of capability to sin. We are very capable of sinning, just like Cain or Ravi. The only only thing that really keeps us from going to that depth is the grace of God. God's grace is holding us so that we would not fall to that depth. That's the only difference. When I was young, I used to, you know, in, in, steeped in just self-righteousness and just legalism, I used to just criticize all those like Christian leaders, right? How could they? Right? But now I realize the only thing that keeps me is, is because God it, it has been gracious to me so that I will not go to that, because I am capable of doing that, and yet God has kept me, kept us. May we humbly thank the Lord for his unceasing love and grace and turn from our wicked ways. And and it's his kindness that brings us to repentance. May we have a better grasp of the gospel, what sin does to us, how it affects us, how it influences, how it masters us. It seeks to master us. It's still, the sin is crouching at the door of our heart, waiting to pounce on us. But as we turn to him, through the blood of Christ, that speaks better word, that we would have hope, that we could be with God. And that is our hope and our prayer. Let's pray. Let's, uh, let's take a moment to uh, just digest it and uh, maybe let's pray to the Lord to, uh, to really once again look and see uh, the, the effects of sin that it has on us because it's so deceptive. Oftentimes we fail to recognize what it really does to our soul and our spirit 
even to our bodies. Because the, uh, the sin lies to us, manipulates, thinking it is no big deal, that nobody else is going to find out. It doesn't hurt anyone. Let's go before him to recognize the power of sin. And yet, the gospel tells us that there is yet a greater power that saves us, the power of God that delivers us from the power of sin. That while we were yet undeserving sinners, that God reached out to rebellious people like us and he opened our eyes to see what we are and who we are and how we need to turn to him in repentance and in trust and faith. So let's also give thanks to God for his work, amazing work of saving people like us. Father, as we look into our lives, God, we recognize the effects of sin, that sin constantly manipulates us. It entices us. It lures us to continue in a life of sin. And it, it seeks to dominate us continuously. It seeks to master us. It seeks to keep us enslaved. But thanks be to God that through Christ, now we have become enslaved to righteousness. Now we are your servants. Thank you, Lord. Even though the power of sin is so great that none of us could ever overcome because we were absolutely dominated but in our sorry and helpless state that you came, that you reached out to us with love and mercy and grace so that we could overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit, that now we are enabled, now we have that power to overcome sin in our lives. Lord, we confess that before we had no choice but to sin, but now we are enabled we are empowered to say no and reject sin and pursue righteousness instead of pursuing sin. So thank you for the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And allow us, Lord God, to continuously be reminded of your grace that even though we don't deserve it, and yet your grace abounds. Thank you for your overflowing unceasing grace that we truly do not deserve and yet you are pleased to give to us as we turn to you in repentance and in faith thank you for your amazing work in our lives and god we also pray for those of us who are going through really tough times uh, 
We pray for the Yuns as they are grieving the loss of Jaina's father. We pray for those of us who are really having a difficult time because of their family, family members, beloved parents that are really um, suffering uh, all the toil that they have to go through to tend to them and to care for them. Lord, we pray for strength on them. We also pray for healing for those parents. We pray for those of us who are sick, those of us who are still looking for work. Lord, please have mercy. Allow us to really not lose heart and lose hope, but to continue to trust that you will lead each and every one of us, no matter where we are. So Lord, continue to uh, reveal yourself to us. Reveal your glory to us even more. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.